0: Amen. Good morning, church. Uh, As Daniel said, my name is Timothy, one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and it is my honor and privilege to share with you this morning God's Word. We're going to be finishing our series uh, this week, Love Thy Neighbor, and this final sermon uh, is titled Love the Nations. So that's where we're going to end our series. I want to begin this morning by sharing with you, uh, telling with you about some dear friends of mine, uh, some of my best friends. Uh, I can't share their names because this is being recorded and it's important that they remain anonymous. Um, These friends of mine, after completing seminary, got rid of pretty much everything that they owned. Uh, They loaded up their four children, ages 2 to 7, on an airplane and moved to Bangladesh to be missionaries. Bangladesh is 90% roughly Muslim, Uh, Therefore, if it ever got out why my friends are there, uh, they would potentially be attacked. Uh, They could be put in jail, Um, and at a minimum, they would be thrown out of the country. The other thing that I want you to know about this couple, about this family, is that they are highly effective at engaging Um, non-Christians, with reaching people for Christ. They are gifted missionaries they love people really well Uh, that's who they are however and this is the bad news they've been in bangladesh coming up on three years now and they have yet to see one single person come to christ not one after three years of labor i think we all draw the same conclusion from this right what a waste What an absolute horrible misuse of kingdom resources, right? I mean, this family should have come home years ago because they could have been far better positioned to be more effective for kingdom ministry here in the States. I have little doubt that if this family had been ministering somewhere stateside, maybe even Durham, they would have had far more Productive ministry, far better results over the past three years than they've had in Bangladesh. I I just don't get it. I don't understand why they are so blind, why they continue to labor for these people that clearly just don't care. They obviously don't want them there. I want to borrow an illustration from John Piper that I think will even further highlight the point I'm trying to make. Uh, Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, a book that I highly recommend that you read, he challenges us to imagine ourselves as the leader of a Coast Guard rescue team. And we float up on two sinking cruise ships, both full of people, both sinking at the exact same time. And it's your job as the head of the rescue squad to direct all the rescue efforts Now, it's obvious from the get-go that your rescue ships are not going to hold all of the people that are sinking and dying, but you know that you will have the ability to save some. You're going to be able to save some, so you arrive at the first cruise ship and you quickly employ your teams and you begin to rescue as many people as you can, but all of a sudden you hear something off in the distance It's someone screaming and shouting. And it's someone from the distant cruise ship and they're shouting at you, please, please come over here. Please come help us. We're dying over here. And then you're faced with a difficult decision, right? Do you leave or do you stay? And the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning is, what is the most loving thing to do in that situation? It's an ethical question. What is the most loving thing to do? And I think we could all come to the conclusion, although it's a difficult decision, there's really no reason that I can think of for why love would compel us to leave the life-saving efforts that are right in front of us to go to the other ship. I can't think of any good reason why we would do that. As Piper says, love puts no higher value on distant souls than on nearer souls. That's an important statement. I'm going to say that again. Love puts no higher value on distant souls than on nearer souls. In fact, practically speaking, love might well reason. It makes more sense for us to stay because in the time it takes us to get get from one ship to the other, we've wasted that time, we've wasted energy, we're probably going to lose more lives. And who's to say we're even going to make it to the other ship in time? So we should stay. Love actually would compel you to stay so that you might save more. So let's apply that now to my friends in Bangladesh. What in the world would compel them to stay in Bangladesh at the expense of more lives that could be saved here in the States? What madness has gotten a hold of them that is causing them to value distant souls over nearer souls, to use the words of Piper? It's a great question. It's that question that I want us to wrestle with this morning. And so, as we come now into our sixth and final message, love thy neighbor. That I've titled Love the Nations, I wanna begin by addressing the potential grumblings that are already stirring up inside of you. This is what you're thinking. I already know you're thinking this. You're thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Daniel and Timothy have the audacity to add another box for us to check, another task to complete. We've already been charged to be hospitable, to evangelize to love the marginalized, to have a love for work, and now they're going to add another thing to the list. You're thinking, can I just go home? Please, I'm tired. I'm sick of this. Two things I want to say to the grumblings in your bellies. First, don't shoot me. I'm just the messenger. Okay. Daniel and I have been commissioned to cultivate in you a heart like his. God's Word paints a glorious picture of what God loves and what He hates. And it's my job to lay before you God's heart and hope that your heart would become like His. And secondly, nobody said it would be easy. Nowhere do we see that this Christian life is going to be easy. It's hard. It's difficult. It's messy and it's tiring. good news is God promises us, Philippians 1, 6... 160. He's going to complete that work that he started in us. He's going to continue to mold and shape our hearts on this journey as we seek to become more and more like him. So I put that before us as we get in. Trust him and he will help you to cultivate in you a heart like his. For those of you who are not Christians and you're here with us, I'm so grateful that you're here and I hope that as we walk through these texts, that you will see more of who God is and that that would compel you more and more to walk with Him. I want you guys now to prepare as we read God's Word. If you're able, if you would stand. This is our text for this morning, Psalm 67. This is our big picture that God is painting for us and then we're going to spend some time in a number of different texts. But I want to start here, Psalm 67. God says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. The Earth has yielded its increase. God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. This is God's word. Prophet Isaiah says, "The grass withers and the flowers fades, but His word endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we want to hear your heart today. We want to hear what you're about. And we confess that our heart is not like yours, but we pray that through us spending time in your word, by your spirit, would you put your heart in us. And would that motivate us to, to think differently, to live differently, to love differently. God, I ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. two points this morning. It's very simple. Uh, first question that we've asked, why love the nations? Why in our struggle to love our neighbor should we prioritize distant souls over nearer souls? And then secondly, how do we do it? How do we, Joe and Judy Durhamite, practically do this? Why and how? So Let's begin with the why. Why should we love the nations? Why should we prioritize the distant souls? I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer right off the bat. The answer is because God does. It's really that simple. It's not much more to it. And I want to spend some time painting this picture for you. Uh, I've had the privilege not too long ago to sit under Dr. Richard Pratt at a missions conference. Richard Pratt is a renowned Old Testament scholar. And he said something at that conference that stuck with me ever since. This is what he said. He said that the American church... Has become to view missions much like we would view an addition on a house. He talked about no matter how hard we try, when we put an addition on the house, it's almost impossible for that addition to look like it really belongs with the house. I don't know if you guys have ever done an add on, but you know what I'm talking about. It's very difficult to make it fit. We, the American church, have bought into this strange and unbiblical idea that missions is an add-on. That the mission of God to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the world is something that we might or might not choose to tack on to the essence of God's mission, to the essence of the church. Case in point is how many churches handle their budgets. They say something to the effect of, if we have any money left over after we've covered all of our operating expenses, after we've taken care of everything that's really important, well, then we'll have a missions program. Then we'll give some money to missions. It's clear evidence that we've bought into the lie that God's mission to the world is an add-on and not the building itself. The reality is that at the very heart of who we are as the church, is a missions agency. Listen to what Ed Clowney says. He says, There are great stories in the Bible, but it is possible to know Bible stories yet miss the Bible story. The Bible has a storyline. It traces an unfolding drama. If we forget the storyline, we cut the heart out of the Bible. And so what is that great story? What is the meta narrative? Listen to how Ralph Winter says this. He says, The first 11 chapters of the Bible describe the goodness of God's creation, the counterattack of Satan, and the resulting satanic dominion over mankind. Here's the good news. But starting with chapter 12, God introduces His plan to free at least a nucleus of believers within every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, as though His kingdom was to strike back against Satan's. This is what the Bible says. Is talking about, then from Genesis 12 to the end of Revelation, the theme of the Bible is the invasion of this evil world by God's kingdom, bringing God's righteousness and sonship into every people to all who receive Him. That's the big story, right? This is how Winter finishes. He says, it is sometimes said that there is a biblical basis for missions. That is a major understatement. It would be more accurate to say that missions is the basis for the Bible. It's a huge statement. Prove it, right? Don't mind if I do. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at how this could possibly be true. How can such a grand statement be made? Before we get too far into the text, I do want to define a term or two. The first is that we've titled this sermon, The Love Love the Nations, Therefore We Need to Define the Word Nations. Nations. Uh, I commend Piper's work here and Let the Nations Be Glad. Instead of walking you through all of his work, I'm just going to point out the conclusion that he makes. And This is important. When we see the Greek word ethne in the Bible, the word that we translate nations, and it's in there all over the place, we need to recognize that almost always when God uses that word, he's referring to people groups and not countries. People groups and not countries. This is important. What is a people group? Daniel just spoke about this briefly, but a people group is the way we would define this. It's a significantly large group of individuals who perceive themselves to have a common affinity for one another because of their shared language, religion, ethnicity, residence, class or caste, situation, or some combination of these. That's verbose. These are people that are aligned together because of culture, language, place, a people group. We talk about countries. God talks about peoples. God is passionate about peoples. And this is my thesis. We're going to see that because God is passionate about peoples, therefore we also must be passionate about peoples. We must love the nations. So let's look at our text now, Psalm 67. It's easy to read this psalm and feel as though verse 1 is completely out of place. Look at the, what God says. He says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us seems to be totally separate from the rest of the text we love this verse don't we it really is american dream type prayer he's basically saying god bless america that's how we would say this but what we miss so often is what is the purpose of that prayer why does the psalmist make that prayer and the and the answer is clearly presented there in verse two look at verse two So that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Do you understand what's going on here? Foundational biblical concept that we see here. God blesses us so that we might be a blessing. He blesses us not for our sake, but for their sakes. He blesses us so that we can bless. And who... Who are they? Who are the beneficiaries of our blessing? Verse 2 makes it clear. All nations. God blesses us to be a blessing to all nations. That's His purpose. The psalmist is asking, God, pour out your blessing on me so that I can begin to shower that blessing on the world. Look at how he. the grammar here is significant. He could have said... Verse 3, he says, Let the praises, the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. He most certainly could have said, Let there be praises of you everywhere. Which would have highlighted God's zeal for geography. That he wants every piece of land to praise him. That there would be worship everywhere. He could have said, let everyone praise you, and that would have highlighted God's zeal for just quantity. He just wants everyone to praise Him, but that's not what He says. He says what? Let the nations, let all the peoples be glad and praise you. What does that reveal? That reveals God's zeal for people groups over and above geography and quantity, it's such an important point here, guys. This is not how we naturally think, but this is how God thinks. He is prioritizing people groups over quantity and quality. So there's application here. It's so huge. Guys, we need to hear this. God is zealous. This is what He is. He's zealous to fill the earth with people, worshipers from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And He blesses you and I to that end. So that we might cultivate greater worship amongst all peoples that 's the end goal he 's not just content with numbers, the who matters deeply to god and I just want to what I want to do now is I just want to walk you through some of the scriptures, and I want to highlight this to you and my hope i 'm just going to be showering you with the Word of God here, and I hope that you will be overwhelmed by the undenying centrality of God's heart for all peoples and I hope that you would begin to if you're not already read the Bible through this lens through this understanding of what God's heart is I want you to see God's mission for the world so let's walk through the scriptures here if you would walk with me you don't need to turn I'm going to take you there begins in the garden Genesis 1 and 2 God is dwelling with his people in paradise And he gives Adam and Eve the creation mandate. Some of us are familiar with this. This is their primary task. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So it's the why. Why were Adam and Eve created? What were they supposed to do? They were supposed to fill the earth with image bearers, with worshipers of the one true God. That's what they were created for. But what happens? We know the story. Sin enters into the world, chapter 3. And there's... The garden becomes no longer a place for God to dwell with his people. But what's fascinating is that the task remains the same, but the goal changes a little bit. God continues to place before his people that their job is to fill the earth and subdue it. But what's the goal now? Because God has had to leave his people. So the goal now becomes that we would fill the earth and subdue it so that the earth would be a place where God could come back and dwell with his people. Because no longer is the earth a place that's fit for God to dwell with man. And so that's what God is doing. He's he's asking us to, to draw all peoples to Himself so that He can return and be with us. Look at Genesis 11. This is where it begins. The Tower of Babel. We see God's people trying to build a way back to God on their own. And God creates the nations in Genesis 11. He he creates a situation where God's people have to cry out and depend on Him in order to be reconciled. And then God reveals His big plan, his, His master plan, Genesis 12. God says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from every country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you see it? It's the same message we just heard in Psalm 67. Abram, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. I'm going to make a multitude of nations out of you. God is zealous for all peoples. From here I'm just going to read a couple verses with very little commentary and just allow this to, to settle in on you. Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations." God is saying, I will make you into a nation comprised of all nations. This is where we're going. At Numbers 14, even when God's people begin to lose focus, he brings them back. This is where we're going. He says, then the Lord said, I have a pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's where we're going. All nations are going to worship me. Psalm 22, the psalmist carries this message. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before me. We're headed there. Psalm 46, 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 96, 1-3, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among the peoples. We see this in the prophet of 2. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Haggai 2.7 I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The New Testament. Jesus carries this message the great commission, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of who? All the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts 8 we we're commissioned to go. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Paul continues to carry this message. Romans 15, Romans fifteen. he says, And thus I make it my ambition To preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And this is the last scriptures that I want to lay before you. And we're going to seek some application here. Matthew 24 and Revelation 7 9 and 10, this is really the icing on the cake. Jesus says and this verse is so important for us says and this is this gospel of the kingdom will be crea- will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come and then the end will come revelation 7 9 and 10 after this i looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, remember the goal that was given to man in Genesis. That they would be fruitful and, full and multiply and fill the earth with god worshipers from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And the point that Jesus is making and it's continued throughout the Scriptures is that then and only then will it be time for God to come back. Then and only then will this earth be a place that is fit for God to dwell. Once there has been cultivated this people, this nation of nations that worships the one true God. That's why Jesus says, We can't come back here until the full measure has come in, until all peoples have heard. And that's why this is evidenced in John's vision. That's why when John sees the new heavens and the new earth, the first thing that sticks out to him is that he recognizes that all peoples have been brought in. And so there's the disconnect. Jesus cannot come back until all peoples have been brought back in. This is God's heart for the nations. He's delaying the return of Christ until we, the church, bring the good news to every nation, tribe, and tongue. So a lot here, and our conclusion must be from this, uh, that the mission of the church is not simply to win as many souls as possible, but rather to win individuals from all the people groups of the world. Because God clearly has a huge heart for distant souls. So how do we do it? How do we do it? If God, I mean, I just I commend you that what I share with you is a snippet of what the Scriptures say about God's passion for the nations. But how do, we do, how do we get involved? How do we begin to cultivate a love for the nations? I think the first step is we need to cultivate empathy for the nations. One of the main barriers that I believe to the heart for the nations that we see showing up time and time again is entitlement. Uh, God's people get lost in themselves. We get lost in ourselves and become convinced that God's blessings are for us and us only. That's what Psalm 67 is speaking against. Listen to how this happened in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10. Moses says, Love the sojourner, love the alien, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Moses' point is, how can you be so apathetic to the plight of the alien when you yourself were treated like that in Egypt? And Paul makes the same point for us. This is how this applies to us, Romans 11. He's using the metaphor of an olive tree. He says, but if some of the branches were broken off, the juice, and you, although a wild olive shoot, that's us, the Gentiles, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. There should be empathy that wells up in us because we are reminded that we were once the illegal aliens. We were once the outsider and God has graciously granted us citizenship. That's the gospel, right? That's the good news that we the Gentiles, the non-Jews, were once distant souls and we have been brought in because somebody left the near ship and came and found us. But it's even more profound than that, isn't it, church? We, humanity, all of us were once aliens and strangers from God. And based upon no merit of our own, God left his home and he came into ours. This is how the message translation describes John 1:14. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood if there was ever a picture of loving, distant souls, if there's any beautiful, better picture of this, I'd love to see it. But the fact that God moved into our neighborhood, He came to us the most distant of souls. What great empathy that should cultivate in us for those who are considered aliens and outsiders in this society. So we need to cultivate empathy. And then lastly, the two things that I want to leave before you is we need to leave the nearship. And some of us need to leave it all. Firstly, leave the near ship. As much as it's counterintuitive, as much as it's impractical, ineffective, and maybe even downright silly, we need to leave the near cruise ship and go after the distant souls. What do I mean? Brothers and sisters, I'm not sure if you recognize this, but the nations are here. Not here, not necessarily in this room, but here in this city. The latest census data shows that Roughly 25% of the people living in downtown Durham, two-mile radius, for one in four, English is not their native tongue. One in four. English is their second language, if they speak it at all. Just to put that in perspective, that number was 15% in 2000, and by next year, they project that number to be as high as 30%. Close to one in three of the people that you rub shoulders with in downtown English is not their primary language. I want to read a quote this week that should challenge all of us. Never in the history of the Christian church has a generation of Christians had a greater opportunity to reach the nations of the world than we have in America today. Can we consistently claim that we are concerned about world evangelism when we are largely ignoring the transplanted foreign mission field which God has brought us? Brothers and sisters, the nations are here. They are all around us. How are we engaging and loving those who are different culturally, ethnically, who speak a different language? So that's, we need to leave the nearship. I wanna make it even more practical. How do we do that? First, I think there's a sense where, as we've always called called you to do this here at Christ Central, there's an organic nature to that. We have to open our eyes and look around and be able to take risks and cross cultural barriers and cultivate friendships with people from different people groups. So I put that for you just very simply. We do it organically. But secondly, I want to commission you we're going to have a forum in a few weeks from World Relief. So there are wonderful nonprofits in this city that help cultivate relationships with people from other nations. So World Relief is going to have an interest meeting here on May 1st. If you're interested in getting involved with refugees, people from other nations, we'd love for you to come and be a part of that and learn about that. There are international student ministries on campuses at UNC, Duke, NC State that we could connect you to if that's how you want to get involved with other nations. Justice Matters is an organization that we are highly supportive of and they're doing some amazing work with undocumented and documented immigrants in North Carolina. These are, there's a multitude of ways that you can begin to cultivate relationships with those who are from other people groups. I encourage you to make that a priority because it's a passion and priority for God. Lastly, that's how many of us are going to apply this sermon. We need to leave the near cruise ship. We need to make it a priority to love the nations. But some of you in this room, in a room this size, I have to imagine, some of you need to leave it all. When we read these texts and when you hear God's passion and zeal for the nations, there's no way that there's no one in this room that doesn't feel a weight upon you that says, this is, this is how I feel. This is, when you cut me, it's how I bleed. You are passionate about all peoples. And you've been wrestling with this and you've been pondering about this. And I just want to encourage you, some of you need to go. Some of you need to leave this city called Durham and go be a neighbor in a place where Christ has not been named. Some of you in this room might be called to go, Uh, and it's not because you're some sort of super Christian or because God loves you more or he loves you less. It's because God has placed that passion in your heart, and he's called you to be a part of this work. And if that's you, Daniel and I would love to talk to you more about that and we'd love to begin that process with you. Daniel and I are passionate. We hope and pray that Christ Central Church will be a church that sends people all over the world. That we are casting out men and women to love the nations. That we are empowering people to give their lives to this vision that God has laid before us. I hope that there are people in this room that feel that call and that we could help empower you to do that. As we close, brothers and sisters, I just want to remind you that American Christians spend 95% of their budgets on home-based ministry. Only about 5% of our budgets go for, towards cross-cultural efforts. Clearly, the church has become convinced that missions is an add-on. My hope and prayer is that we would begin to recognize God's heart for the nations, that missions is not an add-on, but it is the house, and that we would begin to prioritize the distant distant souls, the ones that are here in our backyard and the ones that live on distant shores, but that we would walk in God's heart for the nations. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would Put in us your heart. I know for many this feels so far off. It feels so distant. We have no concept for your heart, for the nations, for the world. We have rarely even interacted with people from other people groups. God, and yet what we read in the scriptures over and over again is that you are zealous for all peoples that you are passionate that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will worship you and that you will not return until we have accomplished that goal through your Spirit. And so, Father, would we walk into, would we embrace the call to love the nations? Would we prioritize the distant souls, not because it makes sense, not because it's practical, not because it's easy or because we want to, but because you are passionate about that. Because that's who you are. I ask that you would help us in that journey, that you would guide and lead us to the nations. I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.